What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Buzzwords Podcast. As always, I'm here with my host, Bobby, and today we have a fantastic episode on infectious disease, specifically of the genitourinary origin. Bobby, how has your day been so far? Just woke up from a nap, I hear. Yep, I am extremely groggy, so this is going to be great. Perfect. Or you're very well rested because uh, you told me earlier today that, that you really don't get any questions wrong, and so I'm going to try to get you get you today with some tough ones yeah yeah i mean you and i are both very experienced with these infections firsthand so i'd be surprised if we did miss any of them right that's a great point is that firsthand experience is typically um the most memorable way to learn something so yeah bobby what, what are you drinking today i am drinking a coffee table by madry Madrid, coffee table by Madrid. Cool. I'm drinking the uh, Melon Cart by Golden Road. Uh, Golden Road is a brewing company based in LA. They have a bunch of different carts, melon, pineapple, uh, mango. I had an iteration of their pineapple cart uh, on the last episode that I didn't really um, love because of the Clamato. But this is just kind of their standard melon cart, watermelon, wheat, ale. So I'm excited. Yeah, interesting. I was going to say that sounds familiar, like deja vu or something. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's do it. Let's crack them. Do not love this. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> maybe it'll maybe it'll uh, grow on you throughout the throughout the episode. It has it tastes like coffee, which Beautiful. is fine. You but love it's coffee. Also kind of, it's kind of creamy. Mm. And I drink okay. my coffee black. So I have a patient that presents with fevers, chills, myalgias. What do they have? Well. They might have HIV, or they might have full-blown AIDS. <laughs> okay, I don't know why you said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's Sounds right. Sounds like so, HIV to me. Great, yeah, exactly right. So, I know that wasn't much of anything. My hint was going to be some lymphadenopathy, but you got it spot on. Probably biased by the GU content, but... Anybody else that you see on this step two exam, any patient that you see on this step two exam that has kind of nondescript symptoms, similar to the flu, similar to mono, um, but for some reason they gave you some like, you know, maybe a sexual history, um, a social history that's just a little suspicious, think about an acute HIV infection. I will. Now, Bobby, I have a little follow-up on that since you got I that I thought you so might, well. yeah. What are some of the AIDS defining illnesses that you can remember from the top of your head? So the big ones are, I mean, I guess to get to the definition of AIDS, it's if the person's CD4 count drops below 200 or any of the AIDS defining illnesses. So that would be like right. PJP pneumonia or toxoplasmosis or MAC. Yep. Um, How about any cancers? Yes, I believe HHV6 can cause a carposis. Perfect. And what about cancers that uh, people without HIV can get, but let's say someone has this cancer and it's invasive. This is a tough one. Uh, you see that and you're like, okay, likely AIDS. Well, uh, squamous cell cancer specifically is associated with immunosuppression. So I, hmm. is that what you're getting at? It's not exactly. I was thinking more, I'll give you a hint, uh, obstetrics and gynecology. 
cancer. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess they're at higher risk for cervical cancer as well. Exactly. If you see invasive cervical cancer, you think AIDS. And then what about kind of the uh, oral pharyngeal area? Anything that makes you think HIV AIDS? Uh, I mean, thrush is like a common symptom. Okay, but people with, uh, you know, albuterol and steroid inhalers can get thrush. Yeah, they can. What about, like, you look down someone's esophagus and you see something and you're like, oh, they probably have AIDS. Like esophageal candidiasis. Exactly. Exactly right. So esophageal candidiasis is technically an AIDS-defining illness, as well as the Kaposi's you mentioned, invasive cervical cancer, PCP pneumonia, toxo, CNS lymphoma, as well as CMV, retinitis. Ah, uh, yes, the pizza pie lesions. How could I forget? Exactly. Don't forget those. Mamma mia. That's a spicy meatball. It's a spicy meatball. Cheers. That's a little throwback. Okay. So you have a a female patient come in, and she's complaining of uh, what she described as kind of like a dishwater discharge. Hmm. What do you think is going on? Makes me think of bacterial vaginosis. Yeah, exactly. And um, what causes BV? Uh, Gardnella. Gardnella. Yeah. Gardnerella vaginalis. Treated by uh, typically metronidazole. You mm-hmm. can uh, get a KOH prep to see it. You'll see those clue cells. Yeah. And then you can also do a, a whiff test, which uh, the KOH prep will cause the BV slide to give off a fishy or um, hmm. amino, like amine, urea type smell. Right. Yeah, I'd prefer not to do that, but if need be, happy too. Yeah. I guess it's it, kind of one of those cool old medicine things. Yeah, like I was going to say, it seems like drinking diabetic urine. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like one of those leftover things where it's like, we have the technology, you don't have to drink the pee anymore or <laughs> smell the fishy slide. Drink it! <laughs> I wonder what the sensitivity and specificity of looking at clue cells versus uh, like the test characteristics for the whiff test versus like a microscopic analysis right yeah i don't know so just to piggyback off hiv i have a lot of hiv questions for you so people can be started on antiretroviral therapy really at any cd4 cell count so we talked about you know hiv or aids being diagnosed as less than 200 but at any at, it doesn't matter if you get a question stem they're like when can you start antiretroviral therapy you can really start at any time as long as there's no acute process and then when you do start it it's nucleotide reverse transcriptase inhibitors, non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, protease inhibitors, integrase inhibitors. There's a, a whole mismatch. A lot of them come in kind of combination medications at this time. So I don't think they'll ask you specifically like, oh, which combinations do you take? But you need to know that typically a regimen includes at least three medications, um, two of which are nucleotide reverse transcriptase inhibitors. Anything you want to add to that? I would say the one combo that might be worth knowing is... Uh for post-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's emtricitabine and I think ritonavir are the two. Mm. Let me double check that real fast. For some reason, that has shown up before. Okay. And kind of just along those lines, while you're looking that up, if you have a, a mother that's HIV positive who wasn't treated, let's say uh, they weren't being treated, their RNA load is through the roof, when the baby's born, you want to give them something. And that drug is what? That would be Zeduvidine. Perfect. And you give it for six weeks, and that's kind of the standard protocol if the mother has not been treated for their HIV. Yeah. Do you know what the uh, 
like the common side effect that always shows up on tests with sedubidine is no is it on sketchy yeah it is bummer yeah i don't remember is it pancreatitis uh i think it can cause pancreatitis like most of the hiv drugs but it's actually bone marrow suppression uh, right shows up okay. as well bone marrow suppression all right how's your post-exposure prophylaxis any luck uh yeah tenofovir and emtricitabine i think i said retonavir instead of tenofovir but uh yeah worth knowing we'll edit that out and we'll uh amplify this a, a thousand fold yeah <laughs> the beacons are lit it's just like way louder than the rest of it <laughs> and along those same lines just the last two questions i have for you relatively straightforward but kind of wrap this all together yeah. when we start antiretroviral therapies it's to get the cd4 count up unfortunately some patients either non-compliant or they come at a later stage and they're CD4 count is lower than certain thresholds. When it's less than 200, you're worried about PCP pneumonia, in which case you give what prophylactically? So you would give trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, otherwise known as Bactrim. And let's say uh, they come in and their count is lower, their CD4 count is less than 100, and you're worried now about toxo. What would you give in that regards for prophylaxis? So I would give them trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, otherwise known <laughs> as Bactrim. Perfect. And the one caveat is not caveat. And the one thing is if they actually end up having toxo, let's say you have a question, some of the patient has toxo, don't get confused. Don't give them TMP sulfa. Right. The sulfa remains, but you have to kind of exchange the TMP for something else. Do you remember that medication? Right. So it's uh, instead of trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, it's, oh, right. Pyrimethamine sulfadiazine. Yep, exactly. So that's toxo treatment, toxo prophylaxis, what you said, TMP sulfa, PCP prophylaxis, TMP sulfa, just different CD4 counts, 200 for PCP, 100 for toxo. Yeah, and I've heard uh, there's some recent changes about prophylaxis for MAC. Do you happen to know what those are? No, I learned the traditional less than 50 is azithromycin. What's new? So apparently if um, somebody is taking antiretroviral therapy, even if their CD4 count is below 50, you don't have to actually prophylax against MAC anymore. Hmm. You would still do the classic prophylaxis with like azithro if they weren't taking medications, however. Hmm. That that makes sense. I mean, azithro is not a benign medication. Um, I'm sure yeah. there's some literature that came out that showed that really MAC is pretty rare or, or just the occurrence is not financially justified. Yeah, when I, I think there was some issues with like... Um, fear about like resistance developing in mac and stuff too mm -hmm. and there isn't a lot of other medications that you could be taking for prophylaxis against it so i think they're really trying to ration and be uh, good antibiotic stewards by only prophylaxing right. or only actually really treating it if if somebody has it okay and kind of the last thing to wrap this all up is let's say someone with hiv continues to have multiple herpes outbreaks what do we want to do for them so you could give them like acyclovir. To Perfect. Just yep. Just daily suppressive him. acyclovir. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not necessarily some people might be like, oh, like what CD4 count do you give, uh, you know, acyclovir for HSV recurrences? You don't. It's not based off CD4 count. It's just actually based off the clinical manifestation. So if they keep having recurrences regardless of their CD4 count, you start them on suppressive acyclovir. Good to know. Cool. Uh, so a guy comes in and he tells you that um he had unprotected intercourse a week or two ago and now he has like a painless kind of spot on his penis what do you think is going mm -hmm. on painless spot on the genitals makes me think immediately 
of syphilis. Yeah. And so how would you treat that? Hmm. Uh, syphilis treatment typically is penicillin. I think benza, benzathine, the long-acting penicillin, one time uh, intramuscularly typically can do the trick unless you start getting into uh, stage 3 neurosyphilis, among other things, where you start needing to do a longer course of penicillin. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, yeah, exactly. So I believe for primary and secondary, it's just a single dose. And then mm-hmm. for tertiary, it's more of a kind of prolonged treatment course as it takes time to penetrate the CNS and, and clear. And uh, right. so what if you treat this guy and he comes into you a day or two later and he's like, I, you know, that legion didn't hurt at all, but now I feel like crap. I feel like I have the flu. Maybe I have coronavirus. Like what's going on? No, no. So that actually is not probably a bad thing. Um, so those with syphilis can actually have this reaction with the penicillin called the Jerish Herxheimer reaction after the antibiotic treatment, basically in a hyperinflammatory state, uh, secondary to basically the explosion of all of those bacteria. Yeah. Very good. And for bonus cool. points, what is the shape of the syphilis no, it's bacteria? No, spherical. Yeah. Nice. So. Is, is spherical a shape? <laughs> yeah, it means it's like corkscrew in Latin. Or something. Oh, for sure. You know what else is spherical? I'll drink to that. Cheers. I don't know what else is a spherical though. I, are you talking about like ducks? Oh yes, actually that's true. <laughs> so I have a forty-two-year-old man who presents to you, Bobby, in the ED with shortness of breath and a dry cough for weeks. Chest x-ray with bilateral infiltrates. Okay. What are you going to treat him with? I'm going to treat him with a macrolide, probably azithromycin. Okay. Uh, This patient uh, gets an HIV test, and it's positive. Oh. So you're saying he has AIDS? He might. But regardless... An AIDS-defining illness, perhaps? He may. Some may even call it PJP pneumonia. So then I would exactly. give him trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, or if he was allergic Perfect. to sulfur, then I could give him uh, dapsone or pentamidine. Beautiful. That's what my next question was. And then finally, he's struggling. He's getting the oxygen, but his PaO2 is less than 70 millimeters of mercury, and his AA gradient, which you check so elegantly, is greater than 35. What do you want to start him on now? Oh, no. It sounds like he might need some steroids. Exactly. So that's the one key thing with PJP pneumonia is there's some literature showing that steroids can help, but it needs to be, or it doesn't need to be, but it's more likely to help uh, when the PaO2 is less than 70 millimeters of mercury and the AA gradient is greater than 35. Just something, just kind of a couple numbers you need to know or keep in the back of your head uh, for when you get a question about PJP. I don't know about you, but giving steroids to somebody who's already immunosuppressed is a little, little sus in my book, but I'll drink to it regardless. Yep. Of course. Everybody wants to be slow, you know? Some people want the easy way out. Yeah. Pretend to have PJB. <laughs> so a guy comes to you, and he has... He's friends with the last patient, actually, that you saw. But he, cool. And so he actually has a similar lesion, but he says it's painful. What do you think he has? He has one lesion? Yep. Painful in the genitals. So... Yeah. That gets me thinking about a couple of things. I don't think it's herpes per se because 
typically you have multiple lesions on an erythematous base, mm -hmm. uh, but I do think about herpes with painful lesions. I think about Haemophilus do cry, but typically those are, I don't know, I feel like there's more, they, you could have, I, I guess, one, so that might be up in my differential. Yeah, you're right. Typically you only have, you have one with Haemophilus do cry, so an important distinction, I guess, for the, the terms for these lesions is syphilis causes a painless shonker, whereas Haemophilus do cry will make you cry because it causes a painful chancroid. Um, and they look, you know, functionally the same. It's kind of like an erosive base, basically. Um, but the difference is that Haemophilus do cry uh, is painful versus syphilis, which is painless. Yeah. So I think that's a great distinction. Uh, chancroid from Haemophilus do cry is like a painful ulcer. Sometimes I think you can even have tender like inguinal lymphadenopathy, if I'm not mistaken. So that might be a differentiator for you on an exam. Yeah, I believe you can have uh, painful lymphadenopathy with syphilis as well as actually a lot of the other sexually transmitted infections. So unless it's the one thing that you can like count on or like is helpful with lymphadenopathies if it turns into like painful buboils, I think. Um, but besides that, I think painful versus painless uh, lymphadenopathy is is not as specific as as we would like to think mm -hmm. and then the last thing on the genitals that's painful that i think is important for sep 2 is the hsv infection but those kind of manifest as papules on an erythematous base pretty clearly hsv you're not going to like mistake them visually for either of these which are more ulcerated and single lesions typically yeah, definitely. And I don't know about you, but my step two exam was full of pictures of people's genitals. So I would say it's worth knowing how to recognize these by like histopathologic visual findings as well. Yeah, I think I could. we could put some of those on our website. Like, do we have to have people like say they're over 18 to, to use the website? I mean, we could just. Or should we, we could, just save yeah. that content for the OnlyFans? That's true. It's, it's an OnlyFans account, but it's just us. <laughs> and like just getting r random STDs to like show people. Yes. Um, <laughs> damn, that's do anything for our fans. All right, I have a patient with non-compliant HIV care presents to you with vision issues. You go, okay, let me check your uh, CD4 count. It's undetectable. Anything you start thinking about? I would be worried about. Uh, cmv or hsv retinitis exactly so cmv retinitis my next hint was going to be that they're having some floaters and maybe even give you the the vignette of retinal detachment kind of a curtain falling over the eye because cmv retinitis can lead to that and if you look in their eye you can actually see some exudative uh, material typically in a perivascular near the, the vasculature of the eye and a perivascular infiltrative kind of um layout and so what would you give this patient what medication is indicated for cmv retinitis or so, cmv infection in general i think they need kind of the big guns in terms of anti viral so that would be like gancyclovir yep exactly gancyclovir ryan did remember it with sketchy like the can the trash yeah. can gan and then there's like the Perfect. kid in the shopping cart for uh what is it like phoscarnet yeah yep, exactly probenicid to help increase its like or decrease its uh phenol excretion yep exactly nice memory and so this patient has a cousin also with hiv who presents to you with high pain and decreased visual acuity similar uh, maybe a little bit more painful 
you look in his eye, he's actually found to have a yellow white cottony kind of exudate, not really in a vascular distribution, kind of all throughout the eye. Is there anything else you're thinking about? And it's not a virus. HIV, HIV can cause retinitis in and of itself, can it? Yes, but it's not that. Does he have like... It, it is a bug, but it's not a virus. And it's causing basically retinitis and exudative lesions. Oh, Toxo can do it too. Toxo, well done. Yep, I think the key there is that the lesions, the exudates can be yellow and white, like yellow whitish. And also, for whatever reason, unlike CMV, I don't know how likely this is to show up. The CMV distribution is perivascular, while this tends to kind of just be random throughout uh, the eye. Hmm. I knew I'd find one. I knew I'd find a tough one. I was like, Bobby's not going to know that much about the eye. No one does. <laughs> That's why they have a whole separate language for it. You ever seen any opto notes? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, there's a funny thing that's happening across like multiple institutions now where patients can now read the notes that physicians write. Oh, yeah. And I ophthalmologists are like, <laughs> it doesn't <luck>. matter. <laughs> <laughs> Other doctors can't read our notes. How are you going to read it if you're not medically trained? Everyone will start needing to do that just to, just to protect themselves. So a uh, woman comes in and she also has some discharge, but she kind of describes it as more thick and you take a look and it looks kind of green and frothy what do you think about this makes you think of trichomonas yeah exactly so and, you uh, need to be worried about her and her uh lovers yes exactly so the classic this is the bug that's classically like described as having a ping pong effect where if you don't treat both partners then you'll cure one and then the other person will reinfect and then it kind of right. goes back and forth oh i love ping pong yeah, well, I don't think you want to play ping pong in assistance. But anyway, so the drug of choice is uh, metronidazole. Right. On step three, I actually got a couple questions about vaginal discharge, and they actually mentioned the pH of different scenarios, which I thought was interesting and a helpful thing if you do remember them. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, for trichomonas infections, the pH remains higher than 4.5, similar to BV, with candidiasis infections being the one that kind of go under 4.5. Yeah, so that's uh, mostly true. You said remained at over 4.5, when in reality the vagina tends to be a fairly acidic environment. So the normal pH is like under 4.5, and mm. then trichomoniasis and BV actually raise the pH and make it more neutral. So that's why they're above above 4.5. All right, Bobby, I have a patient presenting to you with a recent diagnosis of strep pharyngitis, recently treated with an antibiotic. They're now at an urgent care center where you're the, you're the head honcho, and they have this horribly paritic rash across their body. What happened? So they didn't actually have strep pharyngitis. They mm. had EBV. Right. So this patient likely had an EBV infection mono. Fun fact, a lot of people that have mono can also have strep pharyngitis. There is a statistical increase in those two kind of uh, coexisting for some reason. Uh, through my studies, I thought that was interesting. But basically, this patient, whether they had real strep pharyngitis or not, they also had mono. And they were given an antibiotic, likely amoxicillin. And that led to a reaction that is well known, causing a pruritic rash. Um, people with mono can have things that are similar to strep pharyngitis. They can have tonsil exudate. They can have lymphadenopathy. Um, and EBV infections or mono, you want to think about it, posterior cervical lymphadenopathy, that would be kind of a key hint. 
And something else that will be, two other things that will be key hints for EBV infections will be the palatal petechia up on the like uh, superior palate, and then as well as the splenomegaly. This patient leaves and is in a fender bender. The car is okay other than a dent, but the patient presents with back pain, shoulder pain. Vital signs are significant for tachycardia to 108 beats per minute. What's the issue? Splenic rupture. Beautiful. Yep. With a positive Kurz sign. Mm, curse sign. I love that. Left shoulder pain. Yeah. That's high yield. All right. And then let's say the girl that this patient kiss presents with white patches across her lateral tongue that can't be rubbed off. What's that called? So that is hairy leukoplakia. Perfect. And are you concerned about anything in a patient that presents with hairy leukoplakia? Are you concerned about this, this female patient? It's also associated with HIV, isn't it? Exactly. Yep. So hairy leukoplakia is significantly increased in those with underlying HIV. So you want to be more concerned. If you see hairy leukoplakia, at least in the question stem, think HIV. I'll drink to that. Beautiful. So you have another patient, female patient come in and you're like, what's up with all these female patients? And you realize you're in OB clinic. Um, and so she actually is having some vaginal discharge as well, but hers is uh, kind of creamy. She even describes it as, as for our uh, dairy fans, as a cottage cheese type consistency. I love cottage cheese. Yeah, and she's a scientist, and she happens to have a pH probe at home, and she she checked her own vaginal pH, and it was below 4.5. So what do you think's going on with her? Oh, man, so this is think, making me think of a fungal infection, likely Canada. Mm-hmm. And what would you see on a KOH prep for Candida? Oh, you'd see pseudohyphae. Yes, very good. So Candida is the exception to the rule where you will see mold in the cold and yeast in the heat mm. uh, for the other fungal infections. But for whatever reason, Candida, instead of mold in the cold, yeast in the heat is yeast in the cold, mold in the heat. So that's why you see those branching pseudohyphae, even at the uh, lower temperatures that you would do a KOH prep at. Right. Make sense? Yeah. And uh, do you know what some of the risk factors are for having a candida infection? Hmm. Uh, recent antibiotic use. Mm -hmm. Basically, in my mind, I always think, I don't memorize these. I just think, what would change the vagina's natural flora um, and what would cause alterations? So uh, recent antibiotic use, diabetes. Those mm -hmm. are the two big ones that immediately come to mind. Maybe douching. What else? So steroids is another one that shows up a lot steroids. for whatever reason. Makes sense. But yeah, good. Okay. So I have another patient comes in with a polymorphic rash with central clearing. What's going on? I would like more description, please. Are you being serious? <laughs> I forgot what I, the answer was last time we recorded this. <laughs> I, literally just, I was like, I'm going to ask him the same exact question again. <laughs> I need my memory jogged. I was way drunker, so I'm not in the correct state of mind for that state-dependent memory. <laughs> you need to, all right, I'll drink to that for now. Let's see if you remember after a drink of coffee brew. <laughs> it's actually grown on me, and it's waking me up, so it's really the ideal situation. Nice. So I really have nothing else other than you give a patient come in. Uh, they have 
polymorphic, so multiple lesions, annular with central clearing. Some might even say a little dusky. Okay, so they would have erythema nodosum. Multiform. Right, that's what I said. Erythema multiforme. Perfect. And what's the number one etiology of erythema multiforme? Uh, that would be HSV followed by, I believe, uh, EBV, right? Or no? Mycoplasma. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, you got the mycoplasma last time. <laughs> I know, but EBV can cause it too. And I looked it up okay. in between last time and this time. Okay, for sure. So wait, say it again. So HS, say it again. Just say so it. HSV is the most common and then also mycoplasma and EBV as well, but less frequently. Hmm. Cool. Yep. So just a rash that everyone should know in regards to viral infections. A lot of medications can also cause it, but uh, think HIV, think medication, think mycoplasma, think EBV. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Heard it here first. Well, second. This is the second time you've heard it here first. <laughs> I can either confirm or deny that we are re-recording this podcast. <laughs> oh, well, you can. All right. Well, I have a new poem for you, Bobby. Are you ready? Yeah. I sent a picture to all, all our listeners. I sent a picture to Bobby uh, yesterday with a huge book that I found in the storage unit, the giant yeah. book of poetry. Some might call that so, cheating even, but anyway. Well, some might call it resourcefulness, and I have some wonderful poems for y'all. Actually, really genuinely good poems. So I'm actually excited, all jokes aside. This one is by Ryusi, uh, who, was, who lived from 1691 to 1758, which is pretty cool. And it's translated from the Japanese um, text. It's called A Lost Child Crying. A lost child crying, stumbling over the dark fields, catching fireflies. How does that make you feel? That's cool. <laughs> you know, I'd never really seen fireflies before, but there's a ton of them here in the Midwest. Yes, there are. That's for sure. Well, I have a poem for you, too, and I don't think you've ever heard it before. Hit me. <laughs> Baby shoes. For sale. Never worn. Well, that's a great segue to our new Baby Shoes merch coming out soon. I was thinking uh, maybe some Baby Shoes bookmarks. You got a baby. You got a toddler. You want them looking fly? We got some shoes for you. For sale. Never worn. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Cheers. <laughs> So, how's your beer, Bo? Ooh, that's good. I, I like Golden Road Brews, Melon Carp. It's good. Uh, would I drink this again? Definitely. Do I have a Mix and Match 16 pack in my fridge? Yes. I like wheat beers. I like fruit, so this is a great blend. I would give this an 8 out of 10. Nice. What about you? I really like this coffee table beer. It's something that I wouldn't have all the time. I feel like it's kind of a... Like, I wouldn't want to drink two of these in a row, but I would, right. I'd probably give it a seven. Okay. Very nice. All right, everybody. That is it for today's episode. As always, reach out to us. We have a website now that's up and popping. We have some quiz questions there. Um, you can send us some info and, and get some free stickers. Um, there's just a whole bunch of different projects that we're working on that are all kind of up on that website. So if you're interested, take a look. It's buzzwordsmed.com. We have our socials, as always, our Instagram and TikTok. And if you are listening to this on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, whatever platform, if you like this and you think other people might find value, definitely give us a five-star. We would appreciate it immensely, and it would help us kind of reach others who might benefit from this podcast. 
most definitely like subscribe and hit the bell icon so you can get notifications whenever we release new content oh is there a bell icon i guess there is no that's the youtube thing <laughs> all right guys have a wonderful rest of your days cheers cheers Perfect timing, just finished my beer.